Uh, Matthew chapter 13, I want to talk to you about the seed. Speaking of seed, let's talk about the seed. Genesis 3.15 is a pretty important verse. The Lord said to the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. Now, of course, the ultimate fulfillment of that is Jesus, the one who crushes the serpent's head. But guess what? Jesus isn't just a head. He's also a body. And guess where the heel is that steps on the head? Duh. Yeah, it's us. We are the body that ends up crushing the serpent's head. Okay? And uh, so the battle's always been over the seed. And the seed of the woman is going to prevail over the seed of the serpent. There's, some, there's a reason why there's something in us that needs to crush a snake's head when we see it. You know what I mean? I, I think it's in our DNA. We, we just want to crush that thing. And... Uh, and so spiritually speaking, I hope that we've got a whole bunch of warriors here that are determined that we're going to put the serpent's head under our feet. Amen? Of course, in the beginning, obviously this serpent had legs because part of the sentence on the serpent was that you will crawl on your belly from now on and eat dust. So obviously it wasn't crawling on its belly before that. It was more like a dragon than a serpent in the beginning. And uh, you see that thing showing up in Revelation 12, but I digress. Uh, we'll talk about that next Sunday. Next Sunday, I'm going to unpack some things about what's going on. Uh, but Matthew, back to Matthew 13. Lord willing, it's going to be Pentecost Sunday. It's going to be crazy, crazy good, crazy good. Matthew 13:10 says, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Josh, I'm hearing a bit of an echo up here. I don't know if you're hearing it back there or not. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, there you go. It doesn't say that. That's what I'm saying to Josh. <laughs> Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of the people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they've closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. So a primary purpose of parables is to veil the truth from those who aren't open to it yet. Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. And, you know, Jesus didn't make a practice out of going around calling people pigs. That's not the point. 
But those who are under the control of a religious spirit, you know, there's an unclean spirit that is blinding them. And he said, don't be casting. In other words, don't give them the raw, unvarnished truth. But he, he would minister to them in parable form so that those truths could not be defiled by those with hearts that weren't open to receive it for what it really was. Does that make sense? And so, uh, so that was a primary purpose. And you can't pry someone's eyes open with the truth. If, if it was possible to do that, I probably would have done it already. You can't do it. Um, there has to be a hunger on the inside. There has to be a process leading to eyes opening and hearts to be being softened and blindness over minds have to be broken in order for people to begin to receive the truth of God's word. By the way, how many of you... No, I'm not going to do a show of hands because I don't want to put anybody on the spot. Part of the Reformation, one of the core principles of the Reformation was the priesthood of every believer. What that means is this, and I just, I just want to dispel a lie that's kept so many people in blindness and captivity. One of the th- but every one of us has to understand that each of us has access to the mysteries of God. doesn't matter if you've got a fifth grade education or you've got a doctor's degree. You have access to the mysteries of God. The Lord wants to open his word up to you and minister to you personally. You don't need an educated person to feed you the word of God. You don't need a teacher to bring you into a relationship with God and keep that relationship there with you because every one of you has the access to, G- to God through Jesus himself. And that's why, you know... Anyway, I want you to understand that there's no excuse for any of us to say, well, I'm just, I just don't understand. I can't understand. I, you know. No, every one of you need to ask the Lord to give you a hunger for the word because he wants to meet you in the word and give you revelation in his word. The word to me, the Bible to me was a closed book until Jesus came into my life. And when I surrendered my life to Jesus, I was surrendering to the authority of his word too because he is the word. His name is called the word of God. So Jesus and his word are inseparable. And so when we submit ourselves to Jesus, we're submitting ourselves to the authority of his word as well. And, and as we submit to the authority of the word, there's veils, layers of veil that come off of our hearts that did not allow us to see clearly. Does that make sense? So every one of you has access. So don't let anyone uh, make you believe that you're not educated enough, you're not smart enough, or whatever, because you are. It's hunger that will drive you into the Word, not education. Now that I said that. Verse 16, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So the eyes of your spirit being opened is a work of grace. The spiritual, your spiritual ears being opened is a word of great, work of grace. Well, I was hearing spirits and voices before I knew the Lord, so I already had that. No. 
that means you need maybe have your ears irrigated a bit to cleanse, you know, from the other voices that you've been listening to. I mean, all of us at some level had demonic interaction before we came to Jesus, and most of us since then. And that's how we learn. The Lord doesn't put us into a protected place where the only voice that we're able to hear from now on is Jesus. We have to learn to discern what voice we're listening to. Because the Lord wants to raise us up to be warriors that know his voice and are able to discern his voice from any other voice. He doesn't just shut off every other voice to us. You know what I mean? We have responsibility to grow up and to learn to discern his voice from every other voice. There's something about the master's voice, once you've submitted to his authority, that hits you in a place that no other voice does. There's more. Ephesians 1.15 says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So not only do we need uh, the eyes and ears of our heart opened up, we need the eyes of our understanding being enlightened. Because you can get all... I talk to people all the time who get all kinds of knowledge and downloads from the Lord, but they don't know what to do with it. It's easier to receive something than, than it is to have the understanding of what to do with it. Joseph received powerful dreams when he was a boy. But he came into what he was created for, the destiny God had for him, when he got understanding to interpret what he saw and what others saw. Does that make sense? And so it's not just getting knowledge, it's knowing what to do with it. The eyes of our understanding being enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. So the eyes of your understanding being opened is a further extent of blindness being lifted off of us. It also speaks of us coming into maturity so that we learn to know what to do with what we receive. Understanding how what you see and hear fits into the larger picture. Some people are created with a big picture concept, kind of. But most people, as they grow older, their, their perspective gets larger. They see the bigger picture the older they get. That's why you never see a 30-year-old general. He doesn't have a big picture perspective yet. Not only is he not educated enough yet, he doesn't have a big picture perspective until he matures more. And then there's those who get a strategic perspective of the big picture, and they generally, that's a nice pun, right, become the generals in the military because they're able to see the big picture and put strategies together for how to execute in the big picture. Back to... They understand things like timing, like context, like application of the information that comes to them. That comes from the eyes of our understanding being enlightened. And I could take that back into the book of Proverbs and go the rest of the day on that, but I don't have time for that today. Going somewhere. Back to Matthew 13. Uh, And I want to go back to verse 1 now. Jesus tells them a powerful parable, starting in verse 1. 
On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered to him so that he got into the boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. And some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, when they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, you couldn't hear that parable and know what he was saying just at face value. You had to have some spiritual ears opened and some understanding in your heart opened. And so then he goes ahead in uh, verse 18 and he interprets the parable. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, so what is the seed? It's the word of the kingdom. And does not understand it, then the wicked one comes. So what are the birds of the air? Those are are demonic powers. That's the wicked one. The wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. What would cause somebody to stumble? What are stony places? Places of unforgiveness, bitterness, offense. Things that are triggers that cause us to stumble. Soon as opposition comes up. So many people, when they get delivered from something, we get set free from something, if, if they are not properly nurtured and built up in those areas where they were weak, the first time they come into a test or a trial, they will stumble and fall right back into what they were set free from. Because there's stony places in their hearts that have not been cleaned up. The stones have to be removed. The, the forgiveness has to flow. The bitterness has to be released. Does that make sense? The offenses have to be, have to be cleansed from our life. And, uh, and so, because those will cause us not to be able to, for that word to get rooted deep enough into our life for it to be a long-term plant that is able to germinate and grow up into maturity in us. Um, now, he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and, become, and he becomes unfruitful. And uh, I'll unpack each of those a little bit more. But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now, Uh, I'm reminded of the words of Simeon the prophet when they brought baby Jesus into the temple. And he made a very profound statement that's overlooked by most people. He said, this child is set for the fall 
and rising again of many in Israel. And wouldn't it be cool if we could just kind of cruise into the kingdom and trade this kingdom for this one and without missing a beat? It doesn't work that way. In order for us to break through, there's a fall that happens in our life. There's a crash. In some way, we crash and burn. We come to the end of something. We fall and rise again into a new kingdom. There's no lateral transfer into the kingdom. It doesn't work that way. There's a crash and a bang and a coming to the end of things and a, and a cracking open of things that were shut up inside of us. And I think that's what I had going for me. You know, 37 years ago in January. Because I was desperate. I was at the end of things. I had no other place left to turn. My life was a mess. I was in absolute chaos and, and hopelessness. And in that place, Jesus brought me to a place. And, and praise God, I had an aunt who was praying for me. God had already spoken to her and said, I'm going to move in your sister's family, and Yuri's going to be the first one that's going to have an encounter. So she focused in on me. Lord, strip him down to nothing. If I'd, I would have been so mad if I'd have known what she was doing. She was asking the Lord to do all the devastation that was happening in my life. He stripped me down to nothing is what happened. It was probably the greatest act of love that anybody ever showed me. Because it was at that place that I surrendered my life to Jesus. I had nothing else left to do. And so my surrender, as far as it was possible at that time, was complete. This is the only one... That was, that was the first one that I ever surrendered my will to, was Jesus. And, and, and he had me for life. You know, I was hoping this wasn't just a temporary thing, and it wasn't. He transformed my life. He set me free. I, the next day, I was a new man. I, 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 so submit, I came home and, and opened the Bible, and the words came alive for the first time in my life. And leaped off the pages into my heart. And I'm like, I can't believe this is the same book. This is amazing. I went to the bookstore and I got some highlighters. And I started highlighting. I was highlighting whole pages. <laughs> I read through the New Testament, I think the first week or two. And I'm like, did you know this was in here? And I'm, I remember calling a friend of mine at 2 o'clock in the morning. Did you know it says this? And he said, do you know what time it is? I'm like, oh, Sorry. I still got that Bible somewhere, uh, or pieces of it anyway. And it's got whole pages highlighted in it that just leaped off the And it literally began to renew my mind. The miracles that I began to experience were a result of the Word of God coming alive in my heart. And God, through the power of the Word, beginning to renew my mind. And so a couple of months later, when, the, when I woke up one day and my appetite was gone, and it, was, and it stayed gone for ten days... And the power of God came down on my head the third day. And my whole head got numb from, down to my ears for 10 days, or from the third day through the 10th day. And it felt like radiation was going on in my head. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. God's doing something in my head. And after the 10th day, my appetite came back, and it lifted. 
And soon after that, I realized my mind was back, that I destroyed through drug abuse. I don't, I, I don't remember ever even asking for that. But in Joel chapter 2, he says, And it shall come to pass that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. That's what I did. And what he did for me, he'll do for anybody. He will. He's so faithful. He's so good. He's so amazing. His word exploded in my heart, and it still does. His word is one of the favorite places that I'd just love to go because it's so full of life. You know, and I just want to tell you that if you will dig into his word and meditate on his word, you'll be like that tree that's planted by rivers of water. Your roots will go deep and you will bear fruit no matter what season that you're in. Because you'll be drawing on the life of God, not on the reasonings of man. I, I get a little flack from certain people because I don't read a lot of books. I've got a lot of books. I've got tons of books people give me, and oh, I, I like to love it. But, I, you know, my, my, I'm, I'm so busy with responsibilities in my life and things that I, I need to pay attention to that I know that to read a lot of books would take me away from the book. And I'm not going to let anything do that because that's my life source. And I'm here to tell you that you need to be drawing your life from the Word of God. It is the power to transform your life. I do believe that because I was in the Word and the Word came into me, it triggered all the supernatural stuff that began to happen for God to restore me. Because my mind was being renewed, and then it's like, and I just, I think the Lord just said, well, I'm going to have to do a miracle here to keep up with this guy. You know, because his Word is, is doing all, my Word is doing all this stuff inside of him. You know? So the seed in this parable is the message of the kingdom. It's important that each of us have open ears and eyes and then become a sower of the seed. Say, I'm a sower of the seed. You might like, well, I'm not, I don't have a degree. You know, I never went to Bible school. Joined the club. I didn't either. Never went to seminary. I didn't either. Okay? That's no excuse. Every one of us has the same access to the Word of God through Jesus because of the Holy Spirit who will unfold the Word and He'll translate it, He'll interpret it, He'll plant it deep into every area of our life if we allow Him to. So, and our seed, the message, begins with the Word of our testimony. If you don't have anything else, you've got a testimony. If you've been born again... If Jesus has come into your life, you've got a testimony. You, you might say, well, I, you know, it's not that big. It's not that much, you know. If you don't think you have much to share, share the little bit that you have. You know, the widow at Zarephath had very little oil and meal to share with Elijah. But when she shared the little that she had, it became much. That's how the kingdom works. Let him use the little bit that you have and see what he'll do with it. You know, he didn't have much food to feed that multitude. But when someone made available the little bit that he, that he had, it multiplied. 
That's the way the kingdom works. Be willing to give him the little bit that you have and see what he does with it because it'll expand and it'll grow. It'll be like yeast hidden in a measure of meal, which a, a woman hid in, a me- in three measures of meal. And, and the thing spread until the whole thing was leavened. That's how the kingdom works. You give him the little that you have and watch what he'll do with it. He'll, he'll take little and turn it into much because that's how the kingdom works. Amen? What we've seen and heard, we are now responsible to freely share. Jesus said, freely you've received, freely give. And, and, and by the way, I just want to pray with some of you. I felt, like, felt this when, we were, when I was talking about taking up an offering for Fire in the Hills. Uh, I felt like some of you have been hurt by high-pressure offerings and promises of riches that didn't feel right to you. You felt like the motivation was wrong, that, 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 that they were twisting your arms to give money to make them rich, and, 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 and you were put under pressure. And, and if that's you, I just, I'd just like you to stand and I want to pray with you. I want to ask God to heal that so that, you can, so that you can really be set free to prosper in the areas of your finances without having that block there. Is that, is that okay? Will you stand, whoever you are? I'm going to pray with you. I really felt that. Okay. If it's one person, it's worth it. So, Father, we just we come before you right now. First of all, Lord, I ask you to forgive those who've turned the whole truth of sowing into an opportunity to enrich themselves, to put pressure on on your people that you're not putting on them to try to uh, manipulate or get people to give out of something other than a free heart. I ask you to forgive them, Lord. And Father, we give those offenses to you. I ask you to heal our hearts. Heal our hearts. In Jesus' name. I ask you to set us free in the area of everything that we steward, not just money, but everything that we steward, so that we're open to hear your voice and whatever you would speak to us. And I ask, Lord, that you would begin to shift circumstances in our life to where there's no area of our life where we're shut down and living in poverty because we're not open to give freely. Father, we're making a commitment right now to respond to your voice. Teach us to hear your voice when it comes to giving and not any other voice but your voice. And I thank you, Father, for setting your people free to be a true representative of the generosity of God. Not just on Sundays, every day of the week, that our life would be a manifestation of the generosity of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Um, I was raised in a culture where... um, I'm not going to say that our people were stingy, but kind of. 
Um, you know, it, let's just say they were extremely thrifty. And when we got born again, the Lord, the Lord brought us around a pastor every time, and, and he had a gift of giving. Every time we got around him, you know, we'd be, all of a sudden he'd reach in his pocket and, and take money out and give it to me. Here, I'm supposed to give you some money. And, and he did it so freely and so generously, it broke my concept of God being a stingy God. Because I kind of had a, the concept that whatever God gives me, I have to be stingy with. And I really didn't realize that I was aligning myself with that steward, with that servant in the parable of the talents who hid his, who hid, uh, who buried the, the talent instead of putting it to work. Well, you don't put it in the, it, to work in the kingdom by hanging on to it. You put it to work in the kingdom by letting it recycle through you, and and sowing it and watching it multiply and bearing fruit. So, so. Uh, he, the Lord used this pastor to break that concept off of me that God is a stingy, tight-fisted God. He's not. He's a generous God. He loves to give. But what we've seen and heard, we're now responsible to freely share. Some of it will fall on ground that hasn't been prepared yet, like the wayside. Share it anyway. Don't try to figure out if the soil is ready for the word. Share the word. Just like the sower did. Some of it has immediate impact, but the devil steals it. Share it anyway. Some of it changes a life in the moment, but that person doesn't prioritize right, and pretty soon they're busy and distracted by the cares of life again. Share it anyway. Sow the seed in there anyway. None of those things mean that you didn't do your job well. We're responsible to sow the seed. The results are up to God, not us. You can't control what happens to the seed after it goes into the ground. So spread that seed around and don't hold it back because you don't think they're qualified or that, you know, spread the seed. Share your testimony. Share what God is revealing to you. Be spontaneous in the moment. Don't think you have to pre plan everything because I think spontaneity is such a powerful kingdom value. You know, there's things that we need to plan out. I mean, we have to be practical. But we'd have to have room in our life for, for, to be moved spontaneously by the Holy Spirit because the wind blows where it wishes and you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. So spontaneity is a kingdom value. You need to be willing to be moved by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And then let's go a little further through Matthew 13 to another parable, verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. And but while the men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the, owner, so the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles in, uh, to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So this, this parable makes a different central point. 
there's going to be tares that grow up with the wheat. Now, being good Anabaptist farmer gardener types, this is hard for us to accept. We don't like weeds among the wheat. That's not okay. We need to clean our fields out. They don't look nice if there's weeds growing up among them. We were so, uh, we, we would literally, the whole family would, of boys would go through the fields when, when, uh, when the grain was coming up uh, if there was mustard plants. And we'd pull all the mustard because we couldn't stand seeing weeds grow up among, I mean, I'm sure there was more reason than just visual, but that was a big deal. You weren't a good farmer if you let weeds, weeds grow up among your crop, right? If I would do my job right, there wouldn't be any weeds, right? Let's pull them up. Let's spray some herbicide on it. That, that'll kill the weeds, right? Jesus said, no, let them grow together. Wait, what are the weed and the tares in this parable anyway? Verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into his house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. And he answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. So, so now we've become the seed. First, the seed was sown into our hearts so that it germinated. Now we've become the seed in this parable. Jesus is sowing us. That means we're not in charge of this operation, does it? Are we? He gets to plant us where he wants us. And lets fakes grow up right around us. Because tares pose as good plants. It's hard to tell them apart until they come into maturity. When I was down at the uh, writer's seminar several weeks ago, I heard Rick Joyner said that he believes that probably 70% of the body of Christ is not where they're geographically supposed to be. They live where they do because that's where their family is or because that's where a job took them, not because that's where God took them. And until they are geographically where they're supposed to be, they're not going to be productive Christians. You know, I, I think the percentages are better here and part of the reason why I think that is because we grew up in a culture that was church-centric. We didn't relocate for a job or just because family was there typically. We, we lived where the church was that we wanted to be a part of. And I think that's the case with most of us. But across the body of Christ, so many people are not where they're supposed to be, and so they're not being productive because you will be productive and fruitful and prosperous when you are where God plants you. So our attitude is kind of, let's expose these tares. Let's get rid of them, right? 
Jesus says, no, you'll ruin the good people around them if you go on this witch hunt. Let them go. They'll eventually be exposed for who they are. There's tares among us. Oh, man, I wonder who they are. Maybe it's so-and-so. She's always had an attitude against me. Stop it. It's not our job to figure out who's a tear and who's wheat. Our job is to be responsible with what God gives us. Everything becomes evident when it comes to maturity. You know, I haven't shared this for a while. This was an analogy the Lord showed me years ago. You know, uh, in the springtime, all the trees are green. And, uh, and it all looks beautiful and powerful, and you think, oh, those, the natural color of those trees is so beautiful. Most of them are green, not all of them. But that green is not the, the natural color of that leaf. The real color of the leaf you'll discover after there's not enough hours left for the photosynthesis process to fill those leaves with enough chlorophyll to keep them green. And when the green comes out, then you see the real color of the leaf. And that's how your life is. When you're young, you're full of that green, you're full of life, you're full of energy, you're so beautiful. But guess what? We'll find out who you really are in the season just before you fall off the tree. And if you've built your life on Jesus, the sweetness will come out. And if you haven't, you'll be one of those bitter old people. Just saying. I've seen it over and over and over again. The choice is ours. What are we going to build our life on? Verse 39 says, The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, Greek word agalos, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. So Jesus is in charge of this operation. Not us. Our job is to stay in faith and obedience. Agalos in the original Greek is most often translated angels. But it's also translated messenger. Because it literally means messenger, but most of the time it's applied. Why didn't the Lord make it really clear if it was angel or human? Because it can be applied across the board. And most times angels cooperate with what human messengers are sent to do. They use, there's usually some level of working together between angels, the angelic forces, and human agents of the Lord. Usually, angels don't just go to work and do a major projects while humans are too busy to be involved. Usually, they're responding and working in together with. And so, this is probably going to be the same thing in this case. Uh, I'm thinking. It is most often 
this is probably going to be a joint operation with angels and humans working together. So Jesus is in charge. The Holy Spirit who is in us is the operations manager. He's in charge of the operations. Sometimes he uses us in ways that result in judgment being released. That's not comfortable for us. Don't tell me that Peter didn't have to struggle with the consequences of the Holy Spirit coming on him and Ananias and Sapphira falling over dead. Any compassionate human being would have probably beaten themselves up over that. Did I miss? Could I have done that differently? Was that really God? But our job is to yield. If you've not grown into real maturity in apostolic or prophetic ministry, are submitted and accountable to the people that God has connected you with, you probably won't have to deal with this, at least on a macro level like that. However, every obedient servant may experience things that rock your world sometimes. You may share your testimony or a word or a prayer with someone who rejects what you share, and the next day they get in an accident and die. And you've got to be willing to deal with that. That was not your, that was not because you didn't do what you did properly. God used you to give them an opportunity. And you don't know what happened in their final moments. They may have surrendered to the Lord because of what you did. It's not your job to figure out the consequences or the results of what you do. Your job is to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Amen? then you'll have to be grateful that the Lord had you extend an opportunity to them before their life ended. But if you were prompted to share something with them and you didn't, and they got to get in an accident and die, then you've got some regret to deal with. Now, I don't know how many of you have heard Todd White's testimony, but that's what drives him. He had a friend that he didn't share with, and that friend died. And he said, that will never happen again. And he's driven to share and to minister to everyone that he meets ever since because he does not want to be responsible for one more person going into eternity that he didn't have an opportunity to share the word or testimony or prayer with. So it's not your job to condemn yourself because they chose to reject what you offered them. Verse 42, they will ca- and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I believe that the harvest of terrors may have begun. which means that our greatest hour is just ahead. Then the righteous shall shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you're willing to surrender yourself to the Lord's harvest, I'm not talking about going to Africa and 
giving your life in sub-Sahara tribal activity. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about be responsible with the word that God gives you, that you're not going to keep it to yourself, that you're going to share your testimony with others. You're going to be open to being prompted by the Holy Spirit to give away what you've received, even if you don't think it's much. But start with what you have so that God can multiply and make more. I want you to stand. I want to pray with you. And we're going to surrender to the Lord and ask him to use us because we're coming into major harvest time. Right now the fields are white to harvest, and the Lord is looking for workers and we need to be willing to be used. And then we're going to take up our offering for Fire in the Hills. Father, we thank you right now for the opportunity to give freely what we freely received. Lord, we confess today that we don't belong to ourselves. And everything that you've entrusted to us is not ours, it's yours. We ask that you would find us to be faithful stewards. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you administrate the resources of the kingdom that are in us and that you've put into our hands? And where we've received the work of grace, we want to share freely what you've given us. Where we've received a healing, we want to freely give that away to others who need healing. Where we've received freedom and deliverance, we want to give that freely away because we recognize that what you've done for us, you'll do through us. Where we have material resources that you can use for the furtherance of your kingdom to enrich the lives of those who are suffering or whatever it is, we surrender to you. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to teach us to hear your voice and to be faithful with what we hear. And Lord, if all of our stuff isn't already in your hands, we ask that you would either give us the grace to surrender that to you now or put us into a process of coming to that place to where it's real to us that everything that we have belongs to you. And we're just a steward of what belongs to you, everything. And then we ask, Lord, that you plant us where we're supposed to be And that we could become the good seed that's planted into the midst of the harvest field, wherever that is. And Lord, if that's in Wayne County, if that's in a city in our region somewhere where we're supposed to uh, be laboring for the Lord, whether that's in another nation somewhere, whether we're supposed to have a permanent assignment somewhere or go on trips Whatever it is, we ask you to speak to us and make it clear. And then open a way for us to go, wherever it is, however it is, 
whatever, however we're supposed to connect with it, even if it's to, to send others or to pray for others who go. We want to be faithful to what you assigned to us. And so we thank you for that. We give you the praise and the glory for it. And now we come to the issue of our kids. And Lord, I know how we are as parents. We want to hang on to our kids. We want them to do what our dreams are for their life. But today we confess that our dreams for our kids are so much smaller than your dreams. Your dreams for our kids are so amazing, so powerful. And so right now we surrender our kids to you. We confess that they're not ours, they're yours, and we're stewarding them for you. And so we ask, Lord, that you help us raise kids that have the heart for the nations of the world. Kids that know what it is to, to commit their life to serving others, not to live selfishly. Kids that are powerful warriors that are just itching to go to the front lines somewhere and be used while they're young and full of energy and full of strength and full of vision. And so, Father, we're asking that you raise our kids up as powerful warriors in your kingdom and use them to bring glory to your name. And, and, and that you would use them even before they grow up because they're so powerful even when they're, when they're developing. And so we bless our kids in Jesus' name. And ask, Lord, that you would uh, anoint us to minister to them as your stewards of the most valuable kingdom resources of all. And that is the next generation of warriors. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take up our offering for Fire in the Hills. There's going to be a QR code up on the board. There it is. Special. Uh, if you want to write by check, everything coming into this offering will go directly to the Fire in the Hills Fund that will underwrite the cost of bringing in speakers, uh, setting up the site. Uh, it's kind of astronomical because we're tripling our capacity this year from last year. It's a little intimidating. Uh, last year we had a tent that seated 1,000. This year we have a tent that seats 3,000. And we have a smaller tent as well. And so all of this costs a lot of resources, but that's the size of the vision that God's given us, and we want to be faithful. And so, Father, I thank you for uh, supplying all of the needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And ask, Lord, that unusual favor would fall on your sons and daughters. That this would be a time of multiplication in a way that we've never seen it before. And that you would find every one of us faithful as stewards of yours in Jesus' name. And now, Lord, as we get ready to break bread together, thank you for, the, thank you for all the food that's been provided. Jesus, would you come and would you dine with us today? Would you come and get in the middle of our conversations? Would you come and bring breakthrough even while we're breaking bread together over the, over the noon table? We invite your presence. 
Help us to connect with those that we have uh, a kingdom, that we can develop a kingdom connection with. We thank you for that.